There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on on um, Voice America, an absolute pleasure to be back with you again and uh, have a fantastic guest, as always, um, but a great guest today, Drew Tarvin. We're going to talk about humour that works, so I'm very much looking forward to It's a nice way for me to end, end, end Friday and, and hopefully a little, little humour scattered through this interview as well. So um, firstly, I'd love to say a big thank you to my uh, guest last week. I really, really enjoyed talking with David Campbell of All um, Hearts and All Hands and Hearts. Sorry, and uh, what they do is uh, David created this amazing organisation. Um, over sixty thousand uh, volunteers have been engaged with it to uh, provide disaster relief around the world. Over a hundred major kind of projects now. And David had a successful career as a, as a CEO. Uh, for organizations grew one from pretty much uh, nothing to 4,000 employees and then um, got his heart sort of was captured by the the terrible uh, tsunami that occurred in um, Asia in Thailand and Sri Lanka and uh, that kind of an area of the world and he um, he headed over there and he um, set up a, a little little sort of hub to try and help utilizing the internet and then that um, that moment of just getting over there doing something to help um, it has led to this incredible organization. And we talked about really sort of mobilizing people and you know, capturing their, their kind of hearts and, and, and delivering projects which uh, really help them sort of develop and grow. So if you're interested in mobilizing people and just a really fascinating story, do go back into the archive and listen to that. So how do we best use humor? to enhance success in her work. Now, my guest, Andrew Tarvin, uh, describes himself as the world's first human engineer. He teaches people how to get better results by having more fun. Um, as you know, I'm really passionate about engagement, and uh, that's you know, my line of work is helping people build engaged workforces. And I think fun and humor is just a really important part of that. He's the author of Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work. And he combines his background as a project manager at Procter & Gamble with his experience as a stand-up comedian. He reverse engineers the skill of humor in a way that's practical, actionable, and it gets results in the workplace. And I think it's quite incredible that um, humor that works has now, and Drew has now worked with more than 35,000 people. Uh, it's over 250 organizations, uh, some uh, cool organizations in there, the Microsoft uh, the FBI, and even the International Association of Canine Professionals. He's a best-selling author. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company. His TEDx talk has been viewed more than four million times, which is amazing. Um, for some reason, he loves the color orange. We'll find out why. He's obsessed with chocolate. He can solve a Rubik's clue, um, Cube in about seven minutes. Um, so let's find out a little bit about how we can bring this engaging skill into your work and elevate your success with it and make a lot of people happier along the way. Uh, great to have you on the show, Drew. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for having me. And that was, you know, as I was listening to the introduction of the show with the, the music about Elevate, I was getting hyped to be on it. And then to hear a little bit more about uh, last week's guest to say like, wow, this is a, a fantastic show to be a part of. So thank you for having me on. And you're very welcome. Well, you're the, the, actually the 341st unique show. So we've been going now for nearly eight years, which uh, which is quite incredible. And I'm just so delighted. We've had um, over this year, the, the audience each month has, has actually doubled uh, since uh, since Christmas, which is just incredible because we were had great numbers before. So I thank everybody for listening. And I particularly also uh, very much appreciate feedback from people as well. So if you can you know, drop me an email to chris at chriscooper.co.uk if you've got thoughts on uh, the show with Drew. I'll very happily share him or any of the shows that you listen to. I, I just love to hear from you. Um, it gives me a, a lot of pleasure and makes this uh, journey so worthwhile. Um, so Drew, and brilliant to have you on the show. And I love to ask people where they're, where they, where, you know, where they, where they live, really, because we have people from all over the world. And I sort of wonder where, where are you at the moment, and where do you originate from? Yeah, so I am currently in uh, New York City, where I live, in, in the East Village of Manhattan, um, and travel quite a bit around the world. We're chatting a little bit before, but I've, I've recently, I've done five continents so far this year. And actually, how many continents do you learn in the UK? I realize that this isn't something that's you know universal, but how many continents are there? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Is there, I don't know, um, seven? Yeah, so that's what we learn in the U.S. is seven, but I've learned other parts of the world learn only six, and either North and South America are combined together, or Europe and Asia are combined together, or Antarctica doesn't count as a continent. So, because I used to tell people, you know, my goal is to speak or perform on all seven continents, and people would be like, seven? But there's only six. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of the things you learn while traveling. So, I've done quite a bit of traveling, but I, I live here in New York City and originally come from the great state of Ohio. Fabulous! I, I had a my first ever boss came from Ohio, um, so she was she was a she was a character um, and uh, and brought lots of humour into the workplace as well. Um, so good, uh, you know, good kind of link there. And so, I mean, what um, out of the continents that you visited? I mean, what 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 has been your biggest surprise, except for the you know the fact that some people think there's maybe six. <laughs> yeah, that, well, I think one of the you know there's there's multiple surprises, of course. One is that. Uh, there are certainly differences out there in the world, but there's a lot that's the same. Like I, I remember being in, I think I was in Singapore and seeing a small child get absolutely delighted by going the wrong way um, uh, down and up escalator. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's such a universal, playful thing. No matter where you are in the world, that's kind of a playful thing to do. And and that's one of the things from at least the you know the uh, the work side of things. Uh, uh, talking about humor is that I've learned that pretty much everyone has a sense of humor. What makes them laugh might be different, but everyone kind of every culture has a, some type of experience of joy or play that they they like to bring in. And uh, you know, for me, that's a nice thing because of of what I talk about in the workplace. Yeah. So so are you always as you're out and about, you're always kind of looking for, uh, you know, for humor in you know, the, the scenarios. Like some people maybe, I don't know, work for a company that makes spectacles and, uh, and find themselves observing people's spectacles and looking at different designs. Are you always looking for you know, different humor stories? Yeah, I think so. And not, not always intentionally, but uh, I think it's partially like, you know, whatever we focus on, we see more of. And, and I only recently learned this has a phenomenon, uh, has a name to it, uh, and it's called the reticular activation system. And it's that idea, you know, like if you buy a car or even like a friend buys a certain car and you start to see that make and model of that car everywhere, 
you know, it's not that there's suddenly more of those in the world, but more that your your brain is now kind of being more attuned to actually seeing it because you've noticed it. And they call that the reticular activation system. So it's activating kind of your eyesight to kind of actually in your brain to actually process it. And I think for me, at least living in this world of humor and constantly telling stories and teaching people about humor, I think I just start to see that. And I think that's one of the benefits when people start to develop a, you know, kind of a sense of humor and more proactive about it and are kind of created as a habit to explore humor. I think they start to see it as well. And this is, you know, through my observation, I've realized that I don't think that I don't think that it's funny things happen to funny people. I just think that funny people see the world in a funny way. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you first discover humor? What was your was it in your upbringing or was it something you discovered a little bit later? Uh, I mean, I always like growing up, there was always a little bit of of play, but never kind of in a, a you know, very kind of set sense. I don't think I, I was never really the person watching, you know, late night or Saturday Night Live and being like, I'm going to be a comedian someday. I'm going to do that. Uh, but rather, you know, my background is in engineering. Uh, which is a surprise some people are like, wait, computer science engineer does comedy? That, you know, seems almost like an oxymoron. But uh, uh, at university, so I went to the Ohio State University, and while there, my best friend wanted to start an improv comedy group. He needed people and forced me to join. And um, so I, I got up there, and I started to realize there was a logic to comedy, almost like it was kind of like math with words, and there was something really exciting about making a room full of strangers laugh at something you thought or something that you said and kind of fell in love with that kind of, you know, the logic puzzle of it all and got really, really into it, started reading a bunch of books about it, started watching everything that I could uh, online and videos for it and started incorporating a little bit more into to what I did. And ultimately, um, after, you know, graduating, working at P&G for a little while in Cincinnati, where their global headquarters are, moved to New York City as a way to take improv classes and do more stand up and really just kind of immerse myself in this really cool art form that I never really saw myself doing. Stand up takes bravery. Was that, was that uh, something that came natural to you or did you have to really step up to put yourself in that situation? No, I for sure had to step up. Like I, I remember when I first started doing improv, practices were fine. But then when a show would come up, you know, I'd be nervous for the entire day of the show. Like I couldn't eat anything the entire day. And then I did a couple of shows, got them under the belt, got a little bit more comfortable. And it's like, okay, I can't eat for the entire half day. But the morning I was okay, but in the evening, not so good. And then it was like, okay, now I can, you know, two hours before is when I started to get nervous. And then I started doing stand-up and it all started again, whereas oh, a whole day of being nervous as well, because it was just something that I hadn't tried. And and now at this point, I've done over a thousand shows that it's, you know, I get excited for, but I don't have that same anxiety. It's more of an excited energy to to step on stage and try to make people laugh. It's incredible. And you, you travel around the world. Do, do you find that humor differs geographically? Uh, it does. I think that, you know, what you talk about and how you talk about it uh, might change. And there are some similarities and some differences. So, like, I love puns and wordplay, uh, which is great in the U.S., can work in the U.K. as well. But for groups where English is a second language and, and some of that nuance of some of the double meanings of, of words may not, you know, be as, as readily available for people, it might be a little bit more challenging. But jokes and stories about the human condition are kind of universal. So starting to talk more about, okay, what is it like to learn a new language? Or what is it like to have to deal with, you know, stressful people in the workplace? Those types of things tend to kind of map across a bunch of different cultures and are, are accessible to people. 
Mm, yeah, and it's quite interesting. We don't in the the US and the UK. We don't even spell humor the same way. Um, and uh, it, it, yeah, it's, we we uh, we went more efficient with it. We're like, we don't need an extra U. We can we can drop that. And that's you know that's one of the things that you can kind of find uh, humor with. Like I I uh, you know think about the differences. I it took me going to the UK to realize that I don't speak English, right? I speak yeah. American. Because there are these differences. And, and one of the differences I actually appreciate, I, I going to the UK, uh, I learned, because here in the US, we say bathroom, right? Uh, we say bathroom or restroom. Uh, in the UK and in Europe, they say either the loo, um, but often they say toilets, like just very specifically, hey, these are where the toilets are. And I like that. I think that's more accurate. So I was like, I, I'm going to start using that more. I'm going to use that even in the US. And so I came here to the US as in a Starbucks here in New York, and I went up to the barista, and I was like, uh, excuse me, where are your toilets? Uh, and she was confused. She was like, uh, in the bathroom? <laughs> and, and so there's just these, like, yeah, we can play with kind of these recognitions, these cultural differences sometimes, and kind of poke fun at them a little bit, or poke fun at ourselves through through a story as a way to find some of that, that humor. And I think that whether or not you know toilets versus bathroom and these types of things, the the confusion and or being in that situation where you use the slightly wrong word is something that a lot of people can identify with. Yeah, I'm debating whether to share this right now, but I might, I might just do it. But I, I saw, um, I was, was involved with that. An American speaker um, was over in, in the UK and talking and, um, and and she usually talked about her fanny pack. And um, <laughs> it means, it, it means something very different in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And she, the whole place just erupted. It was just, and she had no idea what was going on. It just derailed the whole conversation. And it was, um, it, you know, you had to feel for her, but it's, um, um, you should may, may use that now as a story back in the United States, but it was, um, it was quite a, quite a, a thing to witness. And I, I certainly felt when I, I certainly felt when I wrote my book with um, an American publisher and an, an American co-author, you know, it, it was took me until that scenario to realize that, uh, you know, uh, we're sometimes we're two companies, countries sort of divided by a common language with very different meanings to certain things. Um, but you don't realize until you take a little micro view at it, as, as you will do with uh, with your languaging when you're in the different countries. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's a part of effective communication is, is understanding the nuances or differences and, and language. The same thing in, you know, Australia of realizing that thong there is a sandal. Uh, and so for me, I imagine they've got to be really confused by the Cisco song from the, you know, late 90s, the thong song, right? Entire song about sandals, right? So it's just this different language thing. And I think recognizing that, you know, it's, it's important to understand what people are talking about and how they're communicating even the word like humor like a lot like you said one it's spelled differently but a lot of times people think of humor specifically as comedy they hear humor and they think laughter they think stand-up comedy they think jokes and humor is actually more broad than that so people are worried when they hear humor in the workplace they're like wait are you telling me i didn't start telling jokes in the workplace and become a you know a clown or a comedian and humor is more broad than comedy it's anything that is a comic absurd or incongruous quality causing amusement and so certainly, you know, laughter is part of it, but so is, say, a smile. And so when we're talking about humor in the workplace, or at least when I'm talking about it, it's not about making the workplace funny so much as making the workplace a little bit more fun. And I think having that clarity of the definition helps to, for some people to relieve like, oh, okay, this isn't about, you know, telling a bunch of jokes all the time, but instead about changing a little bit the way that we work so that we get better results. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And it's, it's that humor sometimes is the 
it's a thing that people will remember, isn't it, from from a, a talk or a speech or uh, I remember doing um speaking at my first ever big conference that I spoke at and you know one of the the feedback I got from the um the uh, organizers was um you know, Chris did uh, the best matrix impression I've ever seen that was which was um a bit of a reference to the the film the matrix mm-hmm. and um and you know that sort of stuck out out for them um I did, a, did a, another uh, speech at an event, and someone said it. You know, it was the only person who could combine business theory with um, with kidnapped penguins. Um, uh, and the, you know, the kidnapped penguins, they kind of remember. Uh, it's it really sticks in your your mind, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's one of the things that becomes you know. You know, there's this joke within the speaking community that says, "Do you have to be funny as a speaker?" And the joke answer is only if you want to get paid. <laughs> right, because it is you know it's it's so effective in different ways. One humor, especially in a speaking environment, gets people to actually pay attention. Because if you get if you're at a conference and you're you know and you're sitting in an audience and the person next to you laughs, right? Maybe you're distracted on your phone, you're doing email, but the person next to you laughs, you're gonna like look up and be like, wait a second, I want to laugh, I want to have fun. So then you start to pay attention to what that person is saying on stage. So it gets people to pay attention, and then to your point, it absolutely helps people remember things longer because. It's something different. Rather than it just being kind of the normal, boring, someone talking, yada, 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 stats are hard to remember, but an interesting story or an interesting association between two things, right? This is why mnemonics exist. This is why we create these small devices to help us remember things is because it's something different and that sticks out in our brain. It's easier for us to retrieve. Uh, So we're we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we'll find out more about um, the skills you need to really kind of land humor. Uh, and uh, also where the boundaries and limits are and you know, how you can best use it in communication and connecting with others and those sorts of things. So uh, do come back to us after the break. I'm sure there'll be lots of tips and ideas that you can take away and uh, make your work workplace uh, a more um, happier and successful uh, place to be um, as well as enjoying the, the journey a bit, that bit more. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Drew Tarvin, and we're talking about humour that works. And uh, Drew, I noticed in your bio when I read it out, and uh, I've got to mention it because I have a little bit of an obsession uh, myself as well, as a sweet tooth. Um, one of the things you say is that you're obsessed with chocolate. Uh, tell, us, um, tell us why you're obsessed with chocolate. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I used to, I'm, I mean, I'm obsessed with desserts in general. That's my, you know, my dietary habits is that of like a 12-year-old. Uh, you know, so I love chicken nuggets and French fries, but specifically love desserts. And, and most specifically, I love milkshakes uh, because they're most efficient form of dessert, uh, mm. right? Because you can carry it around. All you have to do is suck. It's amazing. But when the first time I, I started going to, to Europe to do um, speaking engagements, in my kind of naivety and in my ignorance, is like, I don't know if they know of milkshakes, if that's as common uh, over there as it is here in the U.S. So I changed it to chocolate because I also love chocolate. And then the interesting thing is, is that as a speaker gift, because sometimes, you know, groups will give you a speaker gift, people started to give me chocolate because it was in my bio as a thing that I liked. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely keep that in my bio so that if anyone's ever thinking of a speaker gift, now it's a way for me to get free additional chocolate. Good, good idea. Good idea. So if, if you put Ferraris in, does that have the same effect? <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I, I may have to try it. They're probably a little bit harder to, to you know, to show up and, and get, you know, on the, onto the plane in my carry-on bag. But it might be worth, you know, worth trying. <laughs> so um, one of the things I'm, I'm intrigued by is, is, is you know, the, the skills that you need to really kind of land humor. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I had a I had a great boss when I worked worked for, for Mars, so that's one reason I'm I enjoyed uh, chocolate uh, for my days working for a confectionery firm, um, and um, and my, I had a boss there called Alan Ravy, and he just had the most um, amazing ability to be able to say just about anything but not offend. Uh, you know, some people would uh, use uh, the humour, same humour that he would use, and be fired. So I wonder, kind of, what tips can you maybe give us about using humour and making sure you know it's within appropriate appropriate limits and uh, and kind of landing it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, one, I think it's important to recognise that the person delivering the humour has a big impact as to whether it's not successful. You know, exactly as you said, the joke that one person might make might be very different than how it comes across if someone else makes it, as well as your relationship to the people that you are using that humour with uh, has a big impact on how it's received or, you know, perceived in that sense. You know, a joke that you make with someone that you've met for the very first time is something that might be very different than a joke that you known, you know, that you might make with someone that you've known for a really long time. And this is actually one of the differences and one of the challenges that some British people and some European people have coming to the U.S. Because in the U.K., it seems to be pretty popular, like the idea of banter, 
right away, you know, kind of joking at each other and having a laugh at each other is, is something that's pretty common with someone that you've just met. Whereas in the U.S., that sometimes comes across as very aggressive. People are like, why is that person so mean? And it's just because there's cultural differences of what's appropriate, not appropriate in kind of uh, a new relationship or in a new kind of conversation. And so those relationships are important. But at a high level, the skill of humor kind of breaks down to, to three areas. Uh, the first is your sense of humor. And this is your ability to appreciate humor. A lot of times people think of sense of humor as like your ability to create humor. But sense of humor is really just about your ability to appreciate it. And it's a question of do you laugh? You know, do you find things that are funny? And, and everyone that I've ever met has a sense of humor. It might be a specific sense of humor. They might not always show it. But every hu- if you are human, you have laughed. Uh, and so that's kind of your sense of humor. What do you find interesting? What do you find funny? Uh, the second piece is your ability to humor. And this is what your boss did very well. This is the ability to create humor, to create different ideas, and it's the ability to deliver it. Sometimes all of, you know, kind of a joke is in how you say something, not exactly what you say, but how you say it. And then the third component is your agency with humor. And this is your ability to use humor for a specific goal. And this is what I, as an engineer, am really am, am passionate about because it's about getting a specific result and saying, okay, not just let's not just use humor for the sake of humor for it to be fun, but let's use humor as a way to get people to pay attention or let's use humor here as a way to relieve some stress or let's use humor as a way to build rapport. And so those three components together come comprise of what we call the skill of humor. So, so you you know you describe yourself as a humor engineer and your background's engineering. So what we're we're saying is here you you construct your humor. Do you do you, you construct you know you maybe the stories that you use in such a way if, to help in different circumstances? So you maybe have a toolbox of them. Is that what you do? Yeah, exactly. So it's the idea of you know when people are like, why humor engineer? That's clearly a made up term, and it's well like as an as a computer science engineer, I help you know solve problems using things like technology and computers. As a humor engineer, I help solve challenges in the workplace using humor. So if you're thinking about, okay, here's a specific challenge of you've had a stressful day, you've just kind of come out of a stressful meeting, you recognize that stress by itself isn't a bad thing, right? Stress is how you grow, it's how you get better, but you know that chronic stress leads to increase in muscle tension, a decrease in the immune system, an increase in blood pressure, you know those things. So you can then intentionally say, oh, you know, I'm going to listen to the Business Elevation show because they tend to have a lot of fun and that, you know, it's engaging talk. And that's going to help me relieve some stress because I'm going to laugh a little bit and I'm going to increase the blood flow through my body. Right. That's a very intentional use of humor, solving a specific problem that you have. And that's what I mean by kind of this agency with humor is is structuring it around what we call a humor map. And that just stands for your medium, your audience, and purpose, with that purpose being the most important one of like, okay, why do you want to use humor? Not for just because you want people to think that you're funny, right? This is, isn't the office, right, where a lot of the humor used in the office, both the U.S. and the U.K. version was out of, you know, wanting to be validated or wanting to be seen as cool or wanting to be seen as funny. It's not about that as a goal. The goal is really about getting a specific result, and that's where the engineering piece comes in. And it is... You know, I, I see this as being. I, I heard this. You know, humor described as almost like uh, as, as a payoff to humor, and that it connects with people emotionally. Well, mm-hmm. As does a you know maybe a sad story, which uh, you know connects with your heart. Is is this about 
you know, creating sort of journeys for people which involve, which involve humor and, and therefore, you know, you and the story becomes memorable um, or, you know, lightening the mood. You know, what do you construct it in that sort of a way? So it just takes, you know, adds, adds light and shade uh, and, and it keeps people interested. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a component of, of all of those things. And it kind of boils down, at least to me, in this this very basic way and, and uh, to this dumb question. And so I still want you to answer the question. I recognize that it's dumb and has maybe an obvious answer. But would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Yeah. Oh. Right? Yeah. So if you were to make your work a little bit more fun – would you be more willing to do it? Or if you were to make your meetings a little bit more fun, do you think your fellow coworkers would be a little bit more likely to want to come to them? So it's really this kind of idea of understanding that we are, you know, we're humans in the workplace. We're not robots. We have emotions. We have feelings. And humor is a great way to kind of manage and mitigate and influence those emotions in a more positive way. You're exactly right. A sad story can you know, kind of tug at the heartstrings and kind of get to the heart and can be memorable. And there's a great place for that. But humor is a positive way to do some of those same things. That's a great, great way to build engagement with your colleagues. I, I've, um, I, I kind of wonder, wonder with um, America, which is very litigious, mm-hmm. uh, so, so I, I perceive it, um, you know, is there a risk with humor that uh, you know, you've got a, a limit that you have to take care of in the workplace because of the risk of you know, upsetting people, maybe being misconstrued? Um, because uh, you, know, you could end up with, uh, you know, with a lawsuit around your neck if you, uh, if you offend in public. When you Absolutely. Yeah, and that is that is one of the kind of the number one kind of thing that people, the CEOs, when I'm working with different CEOs or senior leaders, that's one of the first things that they want to know about. It's like, okay, if we can use this, how do we do this in a way that's not going to, you know, get us fired or, uh, you know, end up in a courtroom or something like that? And I think one of the easiest ways to kind of understand that is to, to recognize that there are four styles of humor. So uh, psychologist Rod A. Martin defined four styles of humor. And the first style is affiliative humor. This is positive and inclusive humor. For me, I think of um, Ellen DeGeneres or Mr. Rogers, if you're familiar with that, where it's basically positive, inclusive in the workplaces, maybe doing a team building event. This is going to a happy hour. This is, um, you know, everyone is included and the, the focus is on good vibes, basically. Um, then there is self-enhancing humor. Self-enhancing humor is a way, a positive form of humor where the target is yourself where you're enhancing your own situation. So this is, you know, expressed by, uh, there's a great Kurt Vonnegut quote that says, uh, laughter and tears are both responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. Right? It's, <laughs> that, it's that idea that here's this thing that you have to do. I might as well make that a little bit more fun in some way, positive, focused on yourself. Then there's self-defeating humor. Uh, so self-defeating humor is a negative form of humor where the target is yourself. Uh, And so I will sometimes talk about, you know, the fact that I am in my mid 30s and still get called ma'am on the phone uh, because I have a bit of a a nasally voice so I can kind of poke fun at myself. It's a great way to reduce status differentials. It's a great way to um, show that you don't take yourself too seriously, uh, show that you have some humility as well. Um, It's not great if you consistently use it. If you use way too much kind of self-defeating humor, people start to perceive that as, you know, either lack of uh, confidence or, you know, a pity party or something like that, but can be a good form of humor to use sparingly. 
And then the final form is aggressive humor. And aggressive humor is a form of humor where there is a target. The target is someone else. This is like sarcasm and satire. And aggressive humor can be very good for catharsis, can be a great way to relieve stress. But the problem is that it doesn't lead to change. And so it's typically not appropriate in the workplace. It might be a great form to use with your friends and buddies, you know, when you go to the bar a little bit later and you're just kind of decompressing for the day. But in the workplace itself, as a way to get a specific result or to make a positive change happen, doesn't typically work. And most of the time, most situations where humor would lead to, say, a lawsuit, it's typically going to be under the aggressive variety. Yes. Yes. So aimed at someone else. So, and I guess it's sort of, sort of degrees of, you know, this kind of degrees of that as well, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, so for example, you know, one, one thing that sort of came to my mind is you said uh, that you're in your mid thirties, you like, you like, uh, you like chocolate and dessert. So I reckon you've got five, you've got, you've got five more years to, to enjoy doing that before you probably see it on your waistline. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is, uh, is, that's not aggressive humor, but it's, um, it's kind of aimed at you. Yeah, well, but also part of it is, is you know, a lot of times the, the difference between, say, even affiliative humor and aggressive humor is the relationship that you have between two people. You know, you and I have been chatting a little bit. We've yeah. gotten to know. We also both know that we're kind of into, into humor. And so, yeah, you can say something like that to me, and I'm not going to take offense to it because we have a little bit of a relationship that started. And this is true of, like, you know, if, if I think about my friends from university – in university, if we didn't make fun of you, it meant that we didn't like you. And yeah. so that wasn't like, that wasn't necessarily aggressive humor. Maybe it was semi-aggressive, but it was also partially affiliative because it was how, it was the culture of that era to say, and of that particular group to say, hey, this is kind of how we get to know each other, this is how we get to you know build bonds with each other is through this kind of playful banter, right? Going back to the idea of of banter. And so that's where, again, that relationship becomes really, really important. But if you're using aggressive humor with the boss that you hate and you're doing, you know, kind of malicious impressions of them, and then they suddenly walk into the break room seeing you do that, then, you know, maybe not quite so appropriate in that context. Maybe it's not, you know, uh, something that will work in the workplace. I think you've also got to, you've got to be able to live with yourself as well, haven't you? I mean, I some people are very thick skinned and you see, you know, humor in the comedy world, which is sometimes very sort of brutal. But for me, I, I don't like undermining people with humor. I'm much more comfortable being self-deprecating with my humor and maybe telling stories about how I've slipped up mm-hmm. than uh, than focusing on someone else. And then I, you know, I, I live with that comfortably. A few a few weeks ago, I'm doing a a really big extreme endurance event up in Scotland. I'm there with my my buddy who I have to do this event with, and we had to pitch. We pitched the tent. We've got all the gear ready. We've got all the tran- gear for our transitions between the different activities of this event. And then we, we start to set up the tent, and I'd left my the tent poles 400 miles um, <laughs> behind at home. Uh, and uh, although at the time it wasn't very funny because we couldn't sleep in this uh, this tent by this field in uh, in, in rain, um, it's now very amusing. Um, I, I'm happier telling stories like that than than about other people because you're not you're not going to find yourself in bother really, are you? If you're deprecating, right? Yeah, and and I think you know there's a, a lot that's that's great about that. One is that 
again, using humor in the workplace, the goal is not for you to be so funny that people are like, you should do stand-up comedy or that, you know, Netflix or the BBC is going to call and be like, hey, can you do this comedy special for us, right? That's not the goal of humor in the workplace. It's to get better results. And so maybe sarcasm and satire is a great way to get a laugh in public, but in the workplace, not appropriate. And I think that um, you know, along those lines of what you're saying of, of being, you know, cautious and conscious of how that's going to come across. One of the rules that we kind of suggest is to keep in mind the newspaper rule. And the newspaper rule is simply to say, would you be comfortable whatever it is that you did showing up in the front page of your home now, hometown newspaper for your boss to read or your coworkers to read or your mom to read or your parakeet to read or whatever, Right. And if you're like, ah, I don't I don't know if I'd want that to get out to the entire public, then probably not a form of humor that's appropriate for work. That's a good, good test. It's a good test. So how how do we use humor uh, and, you know, best with regards to communication? You know, you say maybe marketing communication, that sort of thing, as well as how do, how do we best use humor? Yeah, there's a couple of. Yeah. Humor and humor and communication is very helpful, and it's one of the things like you just kind of talked about is, um, you know, if you're trying to help people remember things longer, facts told in story form are 20 times more likely to be remembered than facts told in bullet point form. And so one of the great things, you know, storytelling is a fantastic way to use humor effectively as a communicator because, you know, we know that experience is the best teacher. Um, the second best teacher is a story because we can learn from the storyteller and learn their same lessons without the pain that they went through, right? So you can tell this story about forgetting the polls and relate it back to the key to, you know, making sure that you are um, prepared and, and not just the big things of being able to actually run some type of endurance race, but also the small things like packing, you know, making sure that you pack all of the things appropriate, right? So you can use stories as a great way to, to share lessons and they end up being more memorable. Yeah, I mean, you've got me sort of thinking as well. I've not really repeated that that story. Um, I've, I've had my, my 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 sort of buddy repeat it several times to people um, <laughs> since. But um, it, it's got it's got me um, it's got me thinking about actually how the the engineering how I engineer that story such such that it it becomes amusing because mm-hmm. uh, there's something in the way you know, of planning and executing that where actually it could be very funny. Um, uh, you know, as well as just um, slightly amusing, you know. Yeah, so, uh, exactly. You, we can certainly talk about people. some of that that structure piece of things going into it of like, yeah, how do you take kind of basic text and turn it into something more amusing with some asides or some comic triples or some other, you know, set up and punchlines and things like that. That's absolutely one of the reasons why story is so effective is because it can fit other forms of humor in it. Yeah, so so you would help people to kind of structure that, and mm-hmm. and you know maybe maybe write write that down as a story, and then and then um, you know get get to the punchline quickly, perhaps, and um, yeah, and, and engineering in such a way, plus being able to practice it and deliver it. For sure, a lot of people. So people think of exactly. stories as beginning, middle, end, and uh, from a business perspective, you can just think context, action, results, and that gives you this basic 
you know, outline for a story. And then with each one of those within the context or within the action or within the result, you can share one, what is relevant? What kind of details do you need to know about the story? And then two, what's a relatable detail? What's something that kind of an entire audience can connect with whether or not they do endurance races, whether, you know, everyone can identify and connect with all the prep that you did for that event. And then they can identify with a little bit later after you've talked about all that prep, you show up and then boom, no poles in the bag. And so there's these, you know, that kind of story is whether you've run an endurance race or not can be very funny to even if you're like, I don't run at all, uh, you can still identify with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, I looked around, looked around the stupid trying to uh, see if I could get this thing to stand up with no poles as it was busy collapsing all over the place. It was uh, it was quite amusing to other people. I like the mental image of you still sliding, trying to sleep in a tent with no poles, and it just basically became like another sleeping bag, I guess. Yeah, yeah it did. I've got, I've got it's a huge tent. I've got, because the whole family were coming up, coming up the next day. Um, but I have got a photograph of myself doing that in Italy once, and there's just, somebody took it because uh, I had to just sleep with no poles, and I just had my feet sticking out the bottom. So there's a little lesson there that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake once, but uh, you should never make the same one twice. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was 20-odd years later, so I might just, just let myself off. But, so there you go. So I think we must be cutting close now to another another commercial break. And after the commercial break, I want to talk a little bit more about connecting with others and uh, using it to bring a bit more happiness in the workplace. And kind of intrigued for leaders, I can imagine the you know you're working with CEOs of companies who've got a big address to make, and they want to you know to want to land their humour in a way that's very authentic and uh, not not contrived. So it'd be interesting chatting about that as well after the break. So do join us in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. 
Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Drew Tarvin, uh, the world's first humour engineer, and uh, we're obviously chatting about humour. I'm kind of interested, you know, um, around thinking about kind of leaders using humour with their teams and maybe imagining CEOs standing up and, and doing the company address and those sorts of things to, to really kind of help them to connect with others. You know, how should leaders uh, of people best use humour, Drew? Yeah, well, I think that there's uh, a lot a lot of ways that leaders can use humor. And I think more important than specifically how they do it is that they do it, um, that they actually use humor. Because I'm, I'm curious, what do you think is kind of a, a primary reason why people don't use humor at work, right? Because there, there are over 30 benefits to using humor in the workplace between, you know, uh, relieving muscle tension to increasing communication effectiveness to, you know, an organizational level, people being more engaged in their work and increasing, you know, leading to an increase in profit. Ultimately, if there's all these benefits to humor, I'm curious, why do you think that people don't use humor? Well, I can imagine uh, a lack of confidence to use it, uh, you know, fear of it going wrong, um, Mm -hmm. I I would say would be a couple of them. Maybe not uh, thinking, oh, you know, I'm not a stand-up comedian. yeah, yeah, so that's so the confidence and yeah, so those kind of fall into this bucket of like they don't know how, right? So um, you know, the the number yeah. two reason why people don't use humor in the workplace is that they're not exactly sure how to do it in a confident way or to make sure that it's appropriate. But what's interesting is that the number one reason people don't use humor is they don't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. Which means that maybe oh. they want to, but there isn't this culture of humor, which means as a leader if you have a team and you realize that your team doesn't consistently laugh with each other, they're not constantly having fun, you might be part of the reason why. And the reality is that 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor and 81% of employees say a fun workplace would make them more productive. So it's not that most people say, hey, humor is bad. I think we've gotten past the age where people say work has to feel like work. People are open to humor. They just haven't necessarily done it themselves. And so I think one of the most important things leaders can do is to use humor themselves as a way to encourage other people to use it. And one of the ways that they can do that is, is by using humor, is by effectively telling stories as a great way to connect with people, by using a little bit of self-deprecating humor as a way to reduce some status differential, by incorporating a little bit of play into the work that they do so people say that, oh, hey, our, our, our work can be a little bit more fun. But the other thing that they can do is simply laugh or smile more. And here's the interesting thing is that I imagine many of the people listening to this show are likable people at home, right? And then something happens when they go into the workplace and they put this work face on and they have to be like, no, I I can't show any emotion. Whereas at, at home, they laugh with their friends, they, you know, maybe sing in the shower, they dance in the kitchen, whatever, right? They are an actual human being. And then they go into workplace and they try to replicate being a robot. And so they don't show any emotion whatsoever. And again, maybe that worked in the industrial age, but you know, our emotions now impact our ability to get work done. If you're going into a brainstorming session, if you're completely stressed out or if you're not focused, that's going to impact how successful you are in that brainstorming session. Or same thing with building a a relationship with a brand new client, how you're feeling. If you're like angry or upset about something, going to be hard to, to build an effective relationship with that person. And so creating this culture, I think, is really important. And leaders can do that by being more human, by smiling more, by laughing more. You know, if someone sells a joke in the office and maybe it's not the funniest joke in the world, 
it doesn't hurt you at all to laugh a little bit or to give a smile or give a slight chuckle. It's not like you run out of laughs. It's not like if you laugh at a bad joke in the workplace, you're going to go home and watch, you know, um, something on the BBC a little bit later and suddenly not be able to laugh. And there is no limit to that. So it's it's simply encouraging it a little bit more, either, you know, verbally, hey, I enjoyed the humor that you use in that presentation, or by simply smiling a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I spend quite a bit of time, a lot of time in organizations. And sometimes, you know, you go into an organization and they're just a bit gray and you're not... Uh, you're not greeted when you when you you first turn up and everybody's heads down and uh, and looking at the desk and I, I um I was last year though I was um I worked went into an organisation and the receptionist was a dog and uh, and it and it was the most beautiful looking dog I think I've ever seen and it just sat there uh, looking at me and uh, it was a fantastic welcome <laughs> just uh, mm-hmm. just caught me off my guard you know this uh, very beautiful looking dog just sitting there in the reception chair. And it did kind of match the humor of the organization, which was kind of quite fun. But it's, uh, yeah, if, if you look around and your environment's gray, then it, it's, it's, it's missing things like humor, I imagine. Yeah. And like a lot of times I would say, you know, people are worried about using humor and they, they, no one ever told them to use humor. So they feel like they can't. But the interesting thing is, so that ha- like at PNG, no one ever told me to use humor, but no one ever stopped me from doing it either. And it got to the point that at Procter & Gamble, which is not known for being, you know, the the top of the line, you know, funniest organization or most cult, like, you know, the funnest culture, uh, I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist of PNG. I like got business cards made. I started blogging about it. And I did think that maybe eventually someone would stop me, but no one ever did. People embraced it. They started, you know, calling me the corporate humorist. And that's where I realized that, uh, you know, no one ever, you know, like I said, no one ever told me to use humor. No one ever stopped me either. And so many people assume that they can't use humor in the workplace. I always assume that I could. And if you are keeping in mind, you know, the map that we talked a little bit about earlier, making sure that is appropriate, keeping in mind the newspaper rule, realizing that you're using humor for a specific result and not just to be seen as a comedian or to try to be the funny person People, I think, oftentimes will then start to respect that and be like, oh, okay, this is about getting better results. This is about effectiveness. And if people aren't on board with that yet, share with them the research. Share with them, hey, you know, boss, would you like a way that you can increase productivity while reducing stress and increasing happiness in the workplace? And if they're like, no, they're a terrible, you know, business owner, uh, right? And so they're going to be like, yeah, I'm interested in that. And they can learn a little bit more because these are all things that have been backed by research case studies and real world examples about the benefits of using humor. Yeah, so, um, absolutely. So you're bringing, uh, you're bringing, bringing more happiness into the workplace. It's a good, it's a good thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. And it, it impacts people that are happy at work. Why would they want to go and work somewhere else if they, if they thoroughly enjoy being in that space? And so I, I think it's probably having a culture where humor is kind of celebrated and enjoyed and laughter and fun it it uh, must you know impact things like absenteeism and retention and the ease of recruitment and all sorts of different metrics exactly yeah it, it impacts all of those things and that's why we see it has an impact on the bottom line because of those kind of connecting pieces it's not you know humor in and of itself but it's a thing that you know it's the benefits that come because of using humor and the other interesting thing about happiness is i think there's a misconception around it because like what do you and and you may know this more than maybe others but what do you think comes first success or happiness 
I would think, happiness. Right? Yeah. So a lot of times people have this mentality that success comes first. They have in their head where it's like, oh, once I get that promotion, I'll be happier. Or once I buy that car, I will be happier. Once I get X, that's when happiness, you know, things aren't great now, but once this thing happens in the future, I'll be okay. And the reality is that, like you said, happiness comes first. When people can find work that they enjoy or find ways to make the work that they have to do more enjoyable, that's where success comes. And this has been, you know, based on a lot of the the research and positive psychology that Sean Acor has talked about in, in his very popular TED Talk. But they've found research that, you know, salespeople who have gone through happiness and improved their happiness in the workplace see an increase like in 37% in sales or something like that. Like there's actual research to say as you improve people's enjoyment of the workplace, they are getting better results that do impact the bottom line. So tell me, tell me, um, how you know who's your ideal client and how do you help them? What what have, what having you involved in in their organization or their conference? What you know, what does it what does it look like? Uh, so a lot of what we do is hands on programs. As far as the types of clients, it's most mostly within the corporate environment. Although we're doing more and more with you know say government like with the FBI, we're also doing more with um, nonprofit organizations and. Um, organizations like the Red Cross and the UN to, to help them. Because, you know, if you're talking about very serious subject matter, then humor is probably even more important. In fact, there's a there's a great guy named Pablo Suarez who we've been working together with the Red Cross on in, incorporating humor into his messaging because he's realized that if you're at a, a conference on, you know, uh, risk and the people in the audience are bored, there's a very real cost to that boredom in the sense that they're not having as good of an impact or as great of an impact they could have because instead of actually being engaged in a conversation about moving things forward, they're distracted by their phone or they're distracted by something else. So, you know, boredom has a very serious cost there. And so humor can kind of help to, to fight that boredom. So we work with organizations like that, but I would say more frequently are corporations, organizations where an individual team at a company, maybe they want to incorporate humor to improve their sales results. Or, you know, especially when I first started, we were doing a lot of programs within the IT and engineering space of teaching people who are really good with computers, who are great at programming, but aren't so good with humans. How do you actually communicate in a way so that you can influence the people around you or you can, you know, educate your boss about this very technical thing that you do in a way that they understand and you actually get buy in for. So it's a lot of hands on programs that we do. Uh, That was part of the reason for writing the book uh, on human in the workplace is to expand that so that more people can kind of see some of the strategies that we talk about. And then we also do, you know, me personally, I do a lot of speaking events because it's an interesting, it's a new idea because part of my goal, part of our goal is we want to empower the individual. And back to kind of this component of happiness is I'm a big believer that you are responsible for your own happiness, right? It's not up to your boss or your coworkers or, you know, your managers or your customers to make sure that you enjoy what you do. That's partially something that you decide every single day as you go into the workplace. And so what we want to do is through you know, the, the conference programs that we do through the online course, the book is we want to empower more people to be able to say, OK, I have to work anyway. The average person, at least in the U.S., will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime. I have to do the, that work anyway. I might as well enjoy it. And here are some strategies. Here's how you can get started to do that. Excellent. Uh, well, it sounds hugely valuable work. And you know, I can see uh, 
you know, some of the conferences I've been to in the past and public sector and things like that, you know, just so dry. And you're right, bringing the humour into all sorts of situations. And I can imagine, you know, the Red Cross uh, as well, you know, people actually out there in the field being able to, you know, bring some humour and joy to, to people through their communications and, you know, doctors and medics being able to do that with their patients. And, you know, it just brings so much to every interaction, I, I think. I wonder, you know, we're coming towards the um, end of the interview now, and I just wonder if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with. Certainly. I think that, uh, you know, one last tip, because there's, there's a lot that you can go into when it comes to humor. You can learn about, you know, content and delivery and, you know, what a comic triple is or what incongruity is or an association. Um, you know, those are all, there's, there's certain mechanics of humor that you can use, but I think that, you know, the, the takeaway or the next step, you know, as an engineer project manager, I think of next steps, if people are listening and they're like, okay, what do I do differently now that I've listened to, you know, this hour of conversation is simply try to practice one smile per hour. Try to think about, okay, what's one mm-hmm. thing that I can do each hour of the day that brings a smile to my face or the face of someone else? And what that does is it starts to develop a humor habit. It starts to kind of employ that reticular activation system that we talked about at the very beginning. You start to notice things that are humorous around. You start to think, okay, if I'm going into this meeting, what's one thing that I can do in the meeting to make it a little bit lighter? So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say is, is one smile per hour. Excellent. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Drew. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the conversation and, um, you know, just lots of thought. One, one smile per hour. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, happiness comes first before success. Loads of tips, ideas, thoughts in there. Um, wonderful to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. If you want us to go to find out more about um, about Drew's work, um, please go to um, humorthatworks.com and www.drewtarvin.com. That's Drew, D-R-E-W, Tarvin. Dot com. Uh, once again, huge thank you to Drew and I look forward to speaking to you all again very soon. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.